being fed up is now online. If you go to being-fed-up.github.io, mind you, that's all lowercase, that will take you to our website. And feel free to email us at beingfedappodcast at gmail.com. Being has a capital B. Fed has a capital F. You has a up has a capital U. Whoops. Podcast has a capital P. And that again, that's being fed up podcast at gmail.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Being Fed Up. I believe this is episode seven, but I also said that on my last one, which in reality was six. So I guess take it with a grain of salt because who knows what number it actually is, even though I haven't made that many of these. I am your host, Alex, joined by my wonderful cup of coffee, which will keep me going on this. It's been a while since I've made an episode, and I've really missed it. I think, because I'm a college student, I think I just got kind of busy, and you know, life just comes fast sometimes, and it's not necessarily overwhelming, but you get busy, and a lot of the little things that you enjoy doing will fall through the cracks. This is one of those little things that I enjoy doing, but truth be told, I'm a little shy about it. Like, I have a roommate, he actually just left, so now it's just me here, but before that, I didn't really like recording when he was around. Uh, I mean, there's some kind of technical reasons to it, but yeah, most of it is just being kind of performance shy, I guess. But anyways, today, today doesn't necessarily have a set topic. I was thinking about kind of why I started my podcast in the first place. I want to say I recorded my first episode shortly after, or over spring break, I believe. Those were, that's when I really kind of started doing this. And that was really close to the onset of the coronavirus. And what came with the coronavirus? The quarantine, or the stay-at-home order, at least in the U.S. Although, it was basically a global phenomenon. And so, people had to stay at home. And you gotta do things to kill time when you're at home. I mean, personally, I'm enjoying the stay at home. I know it's taking a big toll on a lot of people. Like, there's boredom, there's depression, there's all these other things. But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. Honestly, what I want to talk about, and I think I'm going to open with, is cooking. So, I never really cooked when I, when I lived with my parents when I was younger. I just didn't like it. I would rather be doing other things. I mean, playing Pokemon, watching TV, even if it's just hanging out with friends, you know? Really whatever. Excuse me. But I don't think that's really uncommon for a fairly young kid. I mean, I'm only like 21 now. I'm not particularly old. And so 
I never really learned how to cook when I was young. I mean, from time to time, I would help out with something like making pancakes or waffles, but that's not really cooking. But so eventually, I come to college, uh, first year passes, and then I move into an apartment. And now, I have to be self-sufficient. Or mostly self-sufficient. So, as a result, I had to learn how to cook. Now, when I started cooking, I think the first thing I ever tried to really make on my own was chicken. Because chicken is supposed to be one of the easiest things to cook. You just go to the store, you buy it, you come home, throw it in the oven, throw it on a grill, throw it in a pan. Really, you can cook it a billion different ways. And so, the first way I tried to cook chicken was pan-searing it. And... In case anyone is unaware of what pan searing it is, it's when you put it on a stovetop in a pan, maybe like a little bit of oil. So you season the chicken and then you just put it in and you cook it. And the first thing I did was burn the outside of the chicken and undercook the inside of the chicken. And I think I gave myself food poisoning almost immediately. And mind you, this was the first time I had ever really tried to cook on my own. Well, that was a long time ago. That was over two years ago now. And I've learned a lot. <laughs> so I'm going to try to maybe convey some of what I've learned. And I'm going to talk about how to properly pan sear chicken. So the first big thing that matters is... You need the chicken breast when you pan sear them to be thin. You do not want thick chicken breasts. So if you're looking at your hand, you don't, you could think of a good rule of thumb as being you don't want the chicken breast to be much thicker than a knuckle. If it's thicker than a knuckle, you're going to have a rough time pan searing it. The outside is going to be far more likely to burn unless you do it on a really low heat, in which that case, that can still dry it out. So, first, you want it to be thin, which means if it's thicker than one of your, the knuckles on your finger, I recommend slicing it in half so that the thickness is less. And I realized that was a bad roundabout way to explain that. Two, if your chicken breast is in the freezer, you're going to want to pull it out at least two days before you cook it. The first day you pull it out, put it in your fridge, preferably as far away from your freezer as you can in your fridge, because the closer it is to your freezer and the lower quality your fridge is, the easier. Sorry, the worse it will thaw. And especially if you have a bad fridge like I do, because I have a cheap, crappy apartment fridge, the kind of coolness of the freezer leaks into the fridge a little bit because the cooling unit for the freezer and the fridge are, well, for the freezer, it's at the bottom and the fridge is at the top, but there's really only a thin insulation layer. 
between those two. So the heat from the or the cool from the free freezer. Sorry, I had a stroke for a second there. The coolness from the freezer leaches into the fridge. And you want the chicken breasts to be at a pretty much a uniform room temperature when you saw when you thaw them. So you pull the chicken breast out and you put it in the fridge for the day before. And then depending on the temperature of the place you live, you are going to want to put pull the chicken and this is on the day you're going to cook it. You're going to want to pull it out of the fridge and make give it enough time, typically 3 to 4 hours at least, to really thaw and get to room temperature. Now, you don't want to just leave it out all day because it can spoil and go bad. So, that's why you kind of need to be a little conscious with when you pull it out again typically three to four hours if it's a good thin chicken breast should be fine so now moving on you've got the chicken breast at a uniform room temperature and it's thin the first thing you're going to want to do is season it i'm a simple man i don't really go too all out when i season things i will put so I'll crush some black pepper up and I'll grind it on the top of the chicken breast. And then I will put a little bit of iodized salt on it. Then you take the chicken breast, you flip it over. And I'll grind up some more black pepper. Not as much though because I don't want it to be overwhelming. And then I won't use iodized salt on the bottom. I'll use a little bit of Himalayan pink salt on it. Just just a little bit and try to get like an even good distribution over the top. But again, be very conservative in your powdering here. Now, you're going to want to turn a burner on. Typically, if you're only using one breast, you can use a smaller pan and a, a smaller burner. You're going to want to turn it on to uh, probably about a medium heat. So, for example, mine goes from simmer to two, and then it goes from two to three to four, blah, blah, blah. And the highest setting on mine is five. No, it's six, I think. I should really know this off the top of my head. Anyways, a medium to slightly above medium heat is usually enough. I'll turn mine three to four, but the knob on my stovetop kind of jiggles so there's like a good margin of error there which doesn't help in cooking now and this is the next big important thing i need to stress do not put the chicken in the pan do not put the chicken in the pan until the pan is evenly heated and this is something i learned the hard way in cooking meat a lot you can't just turn the pan on or the burner on, put the pan on, and throw the chicken in. It's not going to work. As the heat has like a gradient and it increases or decreases, it will substantially screw up the cooking. I'm not sure why. I don't know the chemistry or the low-level science behind it. But basically, gradient, bad. If it's increasing. So now what you're going to do once the pan 
is fairly evenly heated, put a little bit of cooking oil. You can use canola oil, you can use vegetable oil, you can use olive oil. Personally, I use canola oil because it's what I've got. So you want to put a very small amount. You want to swish it around so that it sort of covers, so that you've sort of covered kind of roughly the area of the pan. But again, you, you don't want to put very much. Maybe like if you think about the cap for the container, depending on what size it is, maybe about that much. If I had to guess, I'd say no more than two to three tablespoons. And even that might be excessive. I'm very bad with measurements here, though, so you're going <laughs> to you're going to have to work with me <laughs> now. You put the chicken in. Don't just slop it in there because the pan is hot, the oil is hot, and the oil will splash a little bit. And if you do that, you're going to make the oil go freaking nuts. So try to put the chicken in an area that isn't covered with cooking oil and gently set it in there. And now you're going to want to kind of pick up the pan and you turn it and rotate a little bit so that you can get the oil between the bottom of the chicken and the pan. Now you're going to leave the chicken in the center of the pan for three or so minutes. And then now you're going to flip it over, okay? Don't go crazy. You can use a spatula, maybe a fork if you need to. Set it down gently. You don't want to splash oil all over because oil hurts like a mother when it gets all over your arms, especially when it's hot. And now that you flipped it over, you'll be able to see how the bottom side cooked. The bottom side of the chicken, you'll know it's properly cooked when it's no longer kind of that pinkish pink or like that milky white color that base chicken typically is. It will become a little darker. There will be spots that are kind of like golden brown on it. And this is where I'd recommend getting a thermometer. You want to make sure that more or less every spot of the chicken is cooked to at least 160 to 165. Now, I like my meats very tender, so I try to cook it not much past there. But that's considered a bare level to kill most dangerous bacteria. All right. Now that you've done that, you're basically ready to eat it. You just, again, so I said you let it sit on one side for three minutes and then you turn it over. At this point, I will kind of flip flop it a lot to try to make sure I get like a good even heat, keep both sides warm. So I will rotate it a little bit frequently. If one side gets to 160, then I'll flip it over to the other side. And I'll let that one get to like 160, 165. And then at that point, you're more or less good to go. In total, it really shouldn't take more than 15 to 20 minutes to cook it. Usually less. And again, this is solely for pan-seared chicken. And yeah, once you're confident that it's all 160 to 165 and fairly evenly distributed you're going to pull it out it's going to have again these nice little golden spots on it golden brown spots almost like a marshmallow and you should cut it open and it should be very tender again it depends a little bit on if like the quality of the chicken breast 
for the most part, the golden brown spots will have a nice little bit of crisp, and it will be phenomenal. It's one of the simplest things you can cook. You can cook two, three, four at a time in a pan. You got to be careful when you do more because the heat will get absorbed a little differently and things can cook at slightly different rates. And a real pro tip if you want to, when the chicken is almost at 165, say if it's like 158, 159, very close on the backside, you can turn the heat in the pan up a little bit. So say it's at four, turn it up to five, and turn it up to five for just like 10 to 20 seconds. It'll start to heat the pan up a little bit more because, mind you, the pan is a certain temperature and the pan's heat will slowly dissipate. And part of where it dissipates is to the chicken. That's kind of what the whole cooking process is at a very basic level. And then as the meat, cooks and you get that nice little and you hear the sizzle you can turn the burner off now and the meat will continue to warm however the stove or the pan will only cool off which is very nice because that can really help you get a awesome crisp on the chicken but there's something about cooking it when you flip it over or when you put it in the pan and you got the oil in there. You hear this like sizzle and this crackle. Mm, it's absolutely wonderful. And so that's really one of the easiest things you can cook. And it honestly, it took me a long time to even get that right. I am an awful cook. It's really one of the things I've been working on during quarantine. I've had a lot of time to myself in quarantine, so I have played video games, I've read, I've cooked, and my current kind of hobby I've taken up is I've started working on drawing. I've spent the better part of the past day trying to draw an apple that I think looks reasonably acceptable. I've done it three times. The first one came out pretty well, I thought, like shape-wise and color-wise, but then I messed up the shading on one side, and now it looks awful. <laughs> the second one, the shape wasn't great, and I messed up the shading again. I think I may be trying to do a little too much there. I'm really not great with how light hits objects. And the third one, I didn't mess up the shading, but the shape looks more of almost like a a plum or something than an apple. Uh, color's okay, but it, it really doesn't look the same without the shading. It's been interesting. I've I've realized how kind of much I, there's a lot of skills out there that I haven't practiced. And it it really got me thinking that there's a lot of things out there that People just kind of learn how to do from trial and error, but there's a lot of things that are also instinct or we're told to do. Like, think about it when you are a child. The things your parents tell you to do that will, I mean, shape how you act and things you do your whole life, right? So one example is I never stood up straight as a child or really as an adult. I always slouched. And... At some point, I started having some back problems. And I, I realized that's one of those things that, like, if I had just been corrected when I was younger, 
it would have been far easier to fix. But now, I'm in a, I have to, pretty much every time I stand up, I have to be very conscious about standing with proper posture. And it, it gets substantially easier over time. But it, it, it's very odd. And I realize I'm not sounding very articulate at the moment. But I just think something about that is so crazy that you can totally change the direction your life takes by just like a very small piece of information that you can be told. And though I mean the root of this thought was art. It's something I've never worked on. I've never really practiced. And just you get good at everything by practicing. That's just kind of a fundamental principle of learning. So one of the things I'm studying in school is artificial intelligence and machine learning. And if you hear anything in the news about artificial intelligence, first of all, it's not really intelligence, but that's not what this is supposed to be about, this little segment. It's about kind of the core behind the idea. It's that you come up with some sort of model that takes in an input, and gives an output. And what happens in the model, I mean, it's basically a black box to the observer. However, however, this nifty little thing called math and matrices in particular, which are kind of a big thing, at least for neural nets, it produces a, the output. And I mean, the output and input always have to be encoded as some sort of information. But the model, typically, when you first come up with it, is absolutely awful. Even if you wanted to make something very simple, like some kind of classifier. Say you wanted to give an input and you wanted to classify it as cool or not. There's not really a good way to quantify that. However, the clever people who came up with a lot of these ideas, who originated them, they realized... The best neural net of all of them, or the best kind of type of artificial intelligence, isn't artificial. It's us. It's humans. So, I may not know how to classify if something is cool or not, but I can intrinsically judge it. I don't know how my brain weights it or evaluates it, but it does. And so if I go through and I look at an input, and if I have a very basic model, say a neural net model where it's just connected weights and they have biases and it's essentially just repeated dot products then by training it by putting an input in and seeing what the output is and seeing what kind of the expected output should have been i can adjust and i can modify the values and this is the principle that's really at the core of life. People, we just try things, we do stuff, and then we see what happens. And now it works a little bit different where we maybe don't have an expected output. We maybe look at the output and then evaluate it to see how we liked it. In retrospect, we then modify our behavior and things in our brain change and develop and alter. And it, it, basically begins to now accommodate whatever this kind of new factor that we realized 
like differentiated the scenario from what we would have liked to happen or what did happen. And you may ask, why am I talking about this? This is incredibly unrelated to cooking. Well, it's not. Because cooking is one of those things that we do it, and then we see the result, and you taste it, and if you like it, then you're going to try to repeat it the exact same way. If you don't, you're going to try to alter, and you're going to try to improve. And I, I say this as more a, a message of motivation. because. If you start something and you're bad at it, like me with most things, standing up properly, cooking, drawing, anything, you really just have to keep working at it. So what I would strongly recommend is picking up a quarantine hobby. You probably won't be good at it, but that's fine. You don't have to be. It'll make the time pass a lot easier. And... Even if you don't want to pick up something you're good at, you can always take up a, a simple hobby. Uh, like reading. I myself have actually been reading recently. I read the book American Gods by Neil Gaiman. I started it a few days ago, and I finished it yesterday at about 5 a.m. And the book was wonderful. At first... I was reading this, I was confused, I was like, wow, there's Mr. Wednesday, there's Shadow, there's Mr. Nancy, there's all these characters with these weird names, I don't understand it, I don't get it, and then, and this may go into spoilerish territory, I was really confused by all the random little interludes in the book, truth be told, there's all these little off chapters that don't seem related to the core plot of the book. Like, one of the first ones, and this is really early on, and it takes place in, at least this interlude, takes place in Los Angeles. There's a guy who takes a, gets a prostitute, and they go to a motel to have sex, and then the prostitute, who she's a god or some sort of deity, I think she's like half-demon, it's mentioned later in the book, her vagina swallows him. It was very odd. I was super confused. I was not understanding anything about the book. But that was actually an important chapter because it illustrated one of the core themes of the book. And it's sort of this belief and this worship. And for anyone who doesn't know and doesn't really care about spoilers, the whole premise of American Gods is that every god, every deity, every sort of magical or mystical creature that has ever been imagined or believed in does exist, but it exists because of our belief, if that makes sense. However, if you've read like Percy Jackson and the Olympians or another kind of comparable series, and you're familiar with the gods at all, they, they work a little different. The gods themselves don't have magical powers, okay? They are more... They, they basically look and they act like people. However, they don't need to eat, they don't need to sleep. Their health and their kind of power depends on how much they are believed in and worshipped. But... 
again, they, they don't have, like, they're not all powerful. They can't teleport. They can't just conjure stuff up. They have to travel and act like real people, pretty much. And it's, it's really an interesting book. I can't recommend it enough. The, the ending, though, the ending really traumatized me. And I kind of regret bringing this up now because not many people listen to this podcast. It's mostly just like a core group of friends. Although there are some random listeners who are in Ireland and the UK. And that confuses me a bit. But on anyways, I'll probably drop the topic of American Gods now just to avoid spoilers. <laughs> Can't recommend reading it enough. Let's see. What else have I done during quarantine? Ah, I watched the show Community. That's something else I cannot recommend enough. So Community is a sitcom that takes place at Greendale Community College. It's written, or at least one of the co-creators is Dan Harmon. For any of you who are curious, he's one of the guys behind Rick and Morty. He's awesome, so you should go watch that. I'm not going to go into too many specifics, but it's super funny, super entertaining, but it has some really deep, great sci-fi episodes. I think I'm probably going to wrap this up here because I'm getting to almost a half an hour in length, and I realize it's hard to talk about um, like TV show and media and books without wanting to spoil things, and that there's also like nobody else to really bounce things off of. So it's all just me, and it points in time I ramble. So, yeah, I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you for listening, and hopefully all is well in your life and continues to go well. Buena suerte.